Listen to this, it's God's word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all who what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now. Then when we first believed, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word. It's a gift to us. Sometimes there are things that are hard to understand. Sometimes there are things that are very easy to understand and plain. So we ask, Lord, that whether we read this text and we think we know what it says or whether it's completely confusing, would you remind us that this passage is all about Jesus. And Holy Spirit, would you convince us afresh of who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus, we want to worship you through the power of the Spirit in accordance with what is true because of the Father's love. We're here to learn more about you. So keep us from thinking that we come to worship to find out how to be nicer. Keep us from coming here in which we think that we can just get some tips to live. Convince us that there's good news in the world, that you've declared it, that it might change us forever. Do whatever you want to do, Lord. Those are just things that I'm asking, but do whatever you want to do. For we pray together, through the Spirit, because of Jesus, to you as our loving Father. Amen. I know that talking about authority, especially governmental authority in politics, is a landmine. And I'm standing on it. This may be a very sensitive issue for you. 
But I want you to understand, it's not a sensitive issue for God. As a matter of fact, have you ever thought about how complex the political situation that we're in right now is? You ever thought about that? Of the top tier issues, here are four of them. Sanctity of life, sexual ethics, care for the poor, justice. Have you realized that those aren't all the issues, but those are four big ones, and one party claims two, and the other party claims the other two? And if you lean toward one, you're a bigot, and if you lean toward the other, you're woke? You realize how complex that is? And the Bible claims all four. You can't fit the Bible and you can't fit the gospel into our neat little categories. And if you're wondering how much politics or governmental authority or not liking authority and not liking governmental authority, if you wonder how much that preoccupies your own mind and your own heart and the hours of your day, let me give you a diagnostic question to gauge your desire or how much time is spent on all of the political stuff. Here's the question. Borrowed this from someone and it has helped me tremendously. So I offer it to you and maybe it'll help you too. Here's the question. Do you feel like you have more in common with people who have your faith and not your politics? or who have your politics and not your faith. There's a diagnostic to think about. Now, before we get into talking about authority and government and all that, I want you to remember that Romans chapter 12 through chapter 16 are talking to us about gospel culture. That they're telling us what happens when the gospel catches fire in our lives. So 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11 are all about the gospel. And 12 through 16 are saying, when 1 through 11, the contents of 1 through 11, when Jesus catches fire in your life, this is what happens to you, 12 through 16. It creates this gospel culture. There's something new that's different in the life of God's people. That's what Romans 13 is about. It's not ultimately about authority. It's actually about a gospel culture. As a matter of fact, the point of Romans 13 is this. This is the additional truth that we get in Romans 13 about a gospel culture. It's found in verse 14. Here it is. If you want to understand more about gospel culture, if you want to know what your responsibility is and mine is, here it is. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. See that in verse 14? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, in, his, in this chapter, chapter 13, is working his way all the way to that verse 14 of chapter 13. He's working his way all the way to that statement in verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're actually going to start where he ends. You get me? He is working his way there through talking about authority and then talking about how we relate to everyone. And then he lands on putting on Christ. But we're going to start there. We're going to start with putting on Christ and look at 11, verses 11 through 14. And then we're going to work our way backwards. 
And we're going to think about the applications of that, which are how we relate to everyone, verses 8 through 10, and then how we relate to authority, verses 1 through 7. You got me? That's the roadmap. So the big idea of putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Then how we relate to everyone, how we relate to authority. That's where we're going. Hopefully that's clear enough for you. So if anybody asks you, what do we talk about today? You can say, well, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's jump in. Look at verse 11 through 14. It's amazing. I love these verses. Look how the Apostle Paul gets us to the point of saying, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes at us by saying, hey, have you thought about the time in which you're living? He's like, listen to this. Verse 11, there are all these little phrases that are just beautiful. You know the time. The day's at hand. The night is well spent. The darkness is diminishing. We're about at the time in which the sun is starting to shine and it's starting to shine brighter and brighter. You get the point. You know the time. Paul is saying, remember he writes Romans in about the year 57, 58. Paul is saying 25 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth, lived, died, and walked out of the grave. 25 years ago, Jesus got out of the tomb and conquered death. And then he ascended and went back to the Father. And he's ruling and he is reigning. He is on the throne. And that means that we're pretty close to his return. That means that we're far closer to his return than Abraham, than David. It means that the power of the cross and the significance of the resurrection are starting to have their way in the world. You're evidence of that. God's power is extending. As a matter of fact, people would say in the first century that God was turning the world upside down with this truth about Jesus. So, you believe Christ is coming back this morning? Do you believe that? That's to change the way you live. Do you believe he's going to make all things right? You know the time. You know it's going to happen. Is that what you're looking forward to? Then that should affect everything. Put on Christ. If you believe those things are true, that Christ is coming back, then put him on. And you say, well, what in the world does that mean? I'm glad you asked. What does it mean to put on Christ? Well, at the most basic level, it means this. It means that his resume is what counts before God, not yours. So you don't have to worry about building your resume and making yourself looking better and better with better experiences, better titles, greater titles, more money, whatever it is, that's not how you're going to build your identity. That's not a good way to build uh, your life experience and put all your eggs in that basket. It's not the way, those things are not ultimate, even though they're important, they're not ultimate. They're not your thing. Because it's his resume before God, not yours. At another level, what it means is that you are united to Christ. You don't just get his resume in place of yours so you don't have to build yours anymore. You're clinging to his. You're actually united to Christ. In a spiritual way, you are united to Christ both in his death and his resurrection. So in being united to Jesus, that means that you see that his death was 
for you. That his death was the death that you deserve. And his resurrection is your life. That the power of him walking out of the tomb is available and at work in you. So that in a very real sense, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Christ is to be made completely new in which his resume, what he has done, gives you an incredibly, unbelievably, rock-solid identity. That you're forgiven, righteous, and a child of God. That's kind of nice. And to go beyond that, it's not just that you're united to Christ. It's that you live out of that union so there are times in your life in which you're caught doing something that maybe you shouldn't do, and you think, mm, instead of me trying to lie about this, uh, take this one to the cross. When you know there are things you need to change in your life, you're not thinking to yourself, okay, what are the tricks or the methods? Oh, no, 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 not that. Resurrection power needs to go here in my life. You're living from that union with Christ. So, that's, so this is what it looks like on Sunday, the time in which we worship together, what you're doing right now, because you do realize we put on Christ every Sunday, right? We repent of our sins. We receive his forgiveness. We're putting Christ on. Do you see the point? We are hearing that he has forgiven us. We confess our faith together, saying that is what I believe, and what we confessed today was the whole four-part story. Do you see? We're putting that on we come to the table. What do we do? We feed on Christ. We hear God's benediction, his blessing upon his people, and we live in light of that. Do you see? We're putting it on. Every single week, we're putting on Christ. And if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, that's what's happening as you experience worship. That's what's on offer for you is forgiveness and hope and future and eternity and life and promises, and fellowship, worship. That's what we do. We put on Christ. We do it every Sunday. It's a rhythm. And guess what? We can do this Monday through Saturday. You know how we put on Christ Monday through Saturday? We live from that union in which thinking about his death and thinking about his resurrection is a thought pattern. Yes, that means that your mind has to be engaged with everything that you're doing this coming week with Jesus so that it's a thought pattern in your life, so that it is a lens through which you're looking through and looking and seeing everything so that his death and his resurrection are at the core of how you see and live through everything. Make sense? That's putting on Christ. So that it ultimately, by God's grace, becomes a habit. So that it, by God's grace, it can be like a reflex. You got to struggle with someone at work or struggle with somebody at home or struggle with whatever it is. You think, oh, how do I approach this through my union with Jesus? You don't have to use that language. But you can think about what, would, what does it mean that I died in Jesus and I'm raised to new life in Jesus for this situation? putting on Christ. And you see, when we do that, as Paul says, we make no provision for the flesh. 
You see, we either put on Christ or we're just meandering around like cats chasing a red laser on a wall trying to find out what's next. Where can I find this new meaning? Where, where can I get meaning? Where can I get purpose? Where, where can I build this amazing resume where people look at me and think, oh, you need to be worshipped. Even if we don't say it that way. You see, to put on Christ means we automatically make war with the desires of the flesh. Because that's the only other way to live. We're trying to satisfy the desires of our flesh in order to be something, feel like we're worth something. So putting on Christ means we're fighting against selfishness and self-centeredness. That's what it means to put on Christ. And if we're putting on Christ, then that means that our relationship with everyone else has changed and it means that our relationship to authority is fundamentally changed. So let's go backwards. In the text, look at verse 8 through 10. If we're putting on Christ, what does that mean for our relationship with everyone else? Now there's a lot I want to say in these verses, but I have to just hit the highlights because I'm telling you, being able to meditate on a passage of Scripture when you feel like you have a different level of mental clarity, man, that's awesome. Okay? So I've been meditating on these verses in this passage a lot this week with a different level of mental clarity that I've had in months, okay? So I'm going to try to hit the highlights for you, but this is amazing stuff. So try to hang in there because when you go back and read verses 8 through 10, you might wonder, well, how in the world does this fit together? We got living debt free and we got not breaking commandments and love's fulfillment of the law. Like, what? Love your net. What? How does this fit together? Hang on. This is beautiful stuff here. What God tells us here is beautiful. How do we relate to one another if we're putting on Christ? Well, here it is in a nutshell. You get to live debt-free. You get to live without debt. That's what he starts off by saying in verse 8, right? Owe no one anything except to love each other? Live debt-free. By the way, he's not talking financially here. Living debt-free relationally. He's making us think through how do we relate to people. In other words, what is it that you want from the people in your life? Will you think about that? You might have people in your life that uh, they are expected to do things for you. So your relationship with them is what you want from them is you want them to do things for you because that may be their job. Maybe what you want from some people in your life is approval. So the reason why you hang around them or want to talk to them or whatever it is is because you want them to approve of you. Maybe you relate to other people and they're safe for you. So what you want from them is safety. Maybe you relate to other people because they make you feel a certain way. Whatever it is, think it through. And then think about this. Well, what happens when they don't do what you really want them to do in your life? How do you charge them? Meaning, how do you punish them? 
You got a lot of people in your life that they are massively in debt to you? Do you feel like you are massively in debt to other people? I'm talking relationally. Where you're not getting from them what you want, therefore they are in your debt and they gotta pay up or else the punishment is gonna be more and more severe. Or maybe you're in a relationship with people in which you feel like you owe them and you feel like you're enduring punishment from them because you are not doing, you are not enough. You're not doing what they want you to do. God is saying if you put on Christ, you can live debt-free in your relationships. And here's why. Can you make the connection? If Jesus Christ has paid your debt by lovingly fulfilling all of the law, and he has willingly fulfilled all of the requirements of the law for you, if he has done that for you and completely paid your debt, then you never have to live trying to get from other people what they can't pay. So your spouse can never be your savior. Your employer can never worship you enough. Your friend that you're trying to get the approval of, they, they, don't, they don't have to do it. Do you see what it's like to live in freedom? If you've put on Christ, there's no more debt. You don't have to owe anyone anything. And no one has to owe you something. That's why Paul goes on to say, there's no reason to break the commandments. Remember, he just picks the ones that are horizontally oriented, right? The ones that are related to one another. You see the four he picks out there in verses 8 through 10? Look at it and think about it. There's another layer of beauty of the gospel. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Uh, don't steal and don't covet. You see those? Oh, there's no debt. Beloved, if you're putting on Christ, there's no debt. And that means you don't have to break these commandments because adultery and murder and stealing and coveting, they are the ways that you are trying to get something else. Do you know why we commit adultery? Whether that's actual physical or in our minds. You know why we do it? Because we're looking for something transcendent. And we hope that it's love. And we hope that it's in this person. And we hope that we can experience it through that act. We commit adultery either in our minds or physically because we're looking for something transcendent to make it all make sense. Do you know why we murder? Either in our minds by harboring hatred in our heart toward people or physically doing it? Because we have a really strong sense of justice and right and wrong. And we want to be right. And we'll hurt other people or maybe even murder them because we want justice. And we feel like we have the power to do it. Do you know why we would steal and why we covet? Because we feel like if we just get more, we will feel whole. And if you're putting on Christ, he's the only one that has the transcendent love that you're looking for. 
Physical intimacy is just a shadow of the reality of transcendent love of God. You have a strong sense of justice? Well, guess what? If you put on Christ, he took God's justice for you. And he holds in his hands all authority in heaven and on earth. And because he's endured justice and because he is the ultimate person to enact justice, he brought peace into your life. You don't need to find justice anywhere else. Christ has put that and, and earned that for you. You know why you don't need to find something more to make you feel whole? Because it'll never be enough. What Jesus did makes you new. You can't make yourself whole by just adding something else. You need Christ to make you brand new. That's what Paul's saying here. This is how you relate to everybody. No debt, because Christ has paid it all. And Christ will give you the transcendent love that you're looking for. He will provide the justice that you want. He will make you new. And just getting more will never satisfy it. That leads us to this. Well, if I'm putting on Christ, and that changes how I relate to everyone else, it also changes my relationship to authority. Look at the first seven verses where Paul talks about authority, in particular, the government. Look at what he says. The governing authorities are appointed by God. If you look at verse one and in verse two and verse four and verse five and verse six, sometimes twice in those verses, Paul's making it abundantly clear that the governing authorities are appointed by God. He's hammering that over and over and over. Our civil leaders, all of them, are appointed by God. God gives them the parameters in which they are supposed to operate. They're supposed to leave good alone, and they're supposed to punish those that are bad. He's even given them the sword, which is a way that they can function to inflict force on those who are not behaving properly, all the way up to the death penalty. God has given them authority to inflict punishment. That is what God has granted them. So if you do good, civilly speaking and culturally speaking, you should be fine. If you don't do good, if you're doing bad, you should fear the state because they've been given the authority to punish. Their responsibility is to encourage civility. Their responsibility is to uh, protect. Their responsibility is to encourage economic growth. That's what they're supposed to do. And their power is limited. They do not have absolute authority or absolute power. They don't. They're supposed to be doing God's will. They're put there by God. Well, that means this for us. We're supposed to honor them. If we put on the Lord Jesus Christ, then our relationship to our governing authorities and authority in general radically changes to where we honor those who are in authority over us because God put them there. Not because they're doing the job we want. Not because they're doing a great job. Not because they're doing a bad job. Because God put them there. 
Think about when the Apostle Paul wrote this. Guess who was in power? The Roman emperor was Nero. Guess what? He did not like people like you and me. He tortured Christians. He tortured followers of Christ. He put them to death. Paul writes these words when Nero was in office. When Nero was cutting off the heads of followers of Christ, rolling them in tar, lighting them on fire, and lighting his garden. Paul says, honor. Paul says, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Render what is due to those who are in authority. Not because they're doing a great job. Because God has put them there. Paul writes these words knowing that he himself, Paul himself, abused civil authority before he came to Christ. What Paul says here is not exhaustive. In other words, he doesn't give us all the ins and outs of everything that the Bible says about governing authorities. He doesn't give us all the ins and outs. He doesn't tell us when is it appropriate for us to stand up to the governing authorities. But the other places in the scripture that do, if you want to explore that, you can look at time back, way back in the Old Testament when the, um, the governing authorities in Egypt said, hey, we're going to kill all the children. The wives said, no, we're not going to do it. Remember, you, you might remember the time of Daniel in which Daniel and his friends were commanded to bow down to an idol and they said they would not. And they said, even if we die, we will not bow down to these idols. Maybe you remember a time in the first century in which followers of Jesus would say these kinds of words. We've got to obey God rather than men. How all that works out in our lives, it's kind of complicated. But there are times in which we should stand up and resist. But Paul's saying, without telling us all the ins and outs, avoid extremes. In other words, sometimes we can be prone toward being, I don't know, head in the sand, uh, ignoring governing authorities. He doesn't tell us to do that. Nor does he tell us to be antagonistic toward them. Neither extreme. We're supposed to honor and here's what's really hard. We live in a time in which to trash governing authorities is, there's a market for that. You know that? You can make fun of political authorities and you can make money doing it. That is not how we are supposed to live. If we're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to honor those that God has placed over us, whether they're doing a good job, whether they're doing a bad job, because he put them there. It means that we're supposed to treat them with respect. It means that we listen. It means that instead of putting our energies into trying to make our civil government a certain way, Let's not forget the kingdom of God. Instead of putting our energies into trying to get the government to do something we want, why would we do that and forget the church? Which is Christ's bride. 
let's review. What governing authorities has been able to stop the church? What pandemic has stopped the gospel from spreading? What army can wipe out the church? So let's focus on the church. Let's think about the kingdom. Let's put our energies into God's kingdom. Let's put our focus on the gospel and seeing the glory of God spread that cannot be stopped and can't be defeated, even if we die. That means all this boils down to this question. What are you wearing? When people look at your life, what are you wearing? What is obvious about the way that you live your life? As you'll go about your normal, everyday life, what, what do people see and what do they observe about you? What do they see that you wear? What do they, how do they see that you act? They see that you're really committed to your job. They see you're a workaholic. Do they see that you're a really friendly person? Do they see that you're thoughtful? Do they see that you're selfish? Do they see that you're arrogant? Do they see someone that loves their family? Do they see somebody that is generous? What do they see? What do people observe about you? What just is automatic when people get to know you, that they know these three things about you or these five things about you? What is it that they sense and know about you? Because friends, putting on Christ means that people need to see Jesus radiating through our lives. In other words, if you like to work, great. People should see Christ more. People should see Christ through your work. If you love your family, wonderful. But your family shouldn't be an idol. They should see Christ through your family. Even those areas where we are weak, when people perceive that we're arrogant and self-centered and selfish, people ought to see that Christ is working in those parts of our lives too. You get it? Putting on Christ means no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, Jesus is redeeming. He's changing us. He's making us more like him. Who's the one that related to governing authorities in perfection? The Lord Jesus Christ. Who willingly gave himself up to an unjust sentence. Willing to die knowing that he all, had all authority. Who's the one that loved his neighbor? Didn't violate any commands, wasn't looking for anything from people, just loved people because they're people. His name is Jesus. That's what he's done for you and me.